Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Friday, November 18th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, Iowa Republicans muted reaction to Donald Trump's big announcement. Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst vote on same-sex marriage protections. A new education committee in the Iowa legislature. A recount in Scott County and Steve King on trial. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me this morning are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Lee Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Good morning, Caleb. Good afternoon, Aaron. Yeah, good. That's <laughs> true. We're, we're recording a little later. There. Good afternoon. Uh, time is a flat circle, Caleb. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. Solidarity with all the Gannett reporters. Oh, absolutely. My my fist is up. All right, let's start this week with a somewhat unusual story from the Iowa to- politics beat. Uh, in Up in Sioux City, former Congressman Steve King. Uh, you all remember him, right? Uh, Steve King was on trial this week, having been sued for copyright infringement by the mother of the success kid meme. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to repeat that because I think that uh, uh, I think I just heard about three fourths of our listeners say, wait, what? Uh, uh, So a little while back, Steve King's campaign used the success kid meme on social media. And I'll have Jared explain that for all the olds who are listening in here. Um, And the mother of the child featured in that meme sued King and his campaign for copyright infringement. Uh, so, Jared, uh, you, you and the Sioux City Journal covered this story, uh, uh, in your colleague Nick Heitrich, uh, uh, including the trial. Um, <laughs> help us out, help out the folks who may not be familiar with this meme uh, and tell us a little about the trial and how it turned out. We got a ruling this week, too, right? Uh, yeah. So as far as I know, this is the, the first case of a congressional rep from Iowa having to go to court because of a meme. Um, I, I don't know <laughs> no, of any other sure? cases. Did you that. do the research on that? Have you done the legwork? <laughs> May, maybe uh, Theodore Burdick or some very old uh, Iowa rep caught a case involving this. But um, th- yeah, this case lasted for about a year and a half. Um, and it started in January 2020 when Steve King and his campaign were in primary mode, which of course they ended up losing to Randy Feenstra. And a version of the uh, success kid meme, which is the one of the kid doing the fist pump, um, that got posted by an independent contractor working for Steve King's campaign on a Republican fundraising website. And the that version of the meme also went to Steve King's Facebook page and the campaign's Facebook page. And the mom of the success kid, uh, Lainey Griner is her name, she owns the copyright. And she was not a big fan of that uh, once she found out about it. And so she sent a, uh, a cease and desist and um, the photo got taken down within a couple of hours and an apology went up. But Griner said she still made the move to sue because she never heard from King or the King uh, campaign about any kind of compensation. And so now, um, all of that time later, Griner was awarded $750 in damages but the jury found that King didn't infringe upon the copyright. It was the campaign committee. But uh, the committee, King for Congress, didn't do so unknowingly. That's uh, what the jury found. So if that sounds confusing, it is. And uh, <laughs> the Griner's attorney told our courts reporter, uh, Nick Hittrick, that uh, he needed some time to go over the verdict and parse everything out uh, that the jury <laughs> 
decided in the case. Um, as for Steve King, uh, he said he was vindicated. And uh, on Twitter, he accused the prosecutor of lying. And um, when he testified, he talked about this whole saga being a political trick. So please, please, please tell me that in when Steve King tweeted or posted about uh, the verdict that he used the success. <laughs> oh, no, he, uh, no, he did not. He, he did not. That would have been amazing. That would have been so, great. The success kid meme for winning the success <laughs> kid meme. Um, so a couple of things here. First, I have to apologize to Nick. I didn't realize I've been mispronouncing his last name all these years. All Say good. that again, all Jared. Good. Uh, it's, Nick Hittrick, our, in, our intrepid uh, courts reporter. Yeah, um, I feel terrible. So, sorry, sorry, Nick, and thank you, Jared. Um, and so, so just to boil that back down again, Jared, correct me if I'm wrong. So, what it sounds like here is that the jury found that the Steve King campaign was guilty of copyright infringement, but but not knowingly. So in yeah. some, it, uh, and so that's why it was a fine, but a relatively small one at 750. And then that Steve King himself was not individually, was not personally, per- mm-hmm. personally liable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Just such an interesting case. And man. There, Just there, you think you've seen it all. There, there could have been a world where the defense for Steve King was just playing that uh, clip of him being confused by Google when he was talking about interacting with his granddaughter, I think it was. If anyone remembers that clip from a few years ago, that would have been the perfect defense for him. <laughs> they didn't roll that one out, though? No, they did not. They, did they didn't not. feel they needed Maybe that was in the holster in case they felt like they were in trouble and they needed it. Oh, man. What a what a story. If, if you told me Steve King was going to be back in the Iowa politics news and gave me a million guesses. I wouldn't have come close to uh, it being a lawsuit over copyright infringement of a meme. That's fantastic. We have to move on. I don't want to. I want to spend the whole podcast talking about that trial. That's amazing. You and me both. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, elsewhere in the political sphere this week, former President Donald Trump made it official that he plans to seek to become current President Donald Trump once again. And the response from Iowa Republicans was to steal a word right from the Gazette's coverage, muted. Tom, um, you were tracking uh, some of these reactions, uh, I believe. Uh, what did uh, Iowa's most prominent Republicans have to say about a third Trump campaign for president? Well, Aaron, honestly, not much. Um, yeah. <laughs> they they didn't they didn't really say uh, a, a whole lot. Um, so, um, you know, the former president received a warm reception earlier this month, uh, I think five days ahead of uh, the, the midterm election uh, when he was in Sioux City um, and held a rally and campaigned on behalf of Iowa Republicans. He shared a stage with uh, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley um, and Governor Kim Reynolds, among others. Um, so I reached out to Grassley's office and asked if he would return the favor and endorse a renewed Trump candidacy. A Grassley spokesman said um, the uh, senator encouraged all candidates to come to Iowa and make their, make their pitch directly to voters. Um, Grassley's office did not respond when pressed in a follow-up email asking whether the Republican uh, incumbent supports Trump's candidacy. Um, again, the spokesman just said that, uh, you know, as we look to the next election, you know, Iowa will continue to hold the first in the nation caucuses on the Republican side. And again, encouraging all candidates to come to Iowa and, and make their pitch directly to voters and that, um, 
Senator Grassley's primary focus continues to be on uh, getting the economy back on track, working and working hard for the people of Iowa. Um, Iowa Republican U.S. Representative Ashley Henson, uh, who won re-election in the November 8th election and whom Trump also endorsed, uh, echoed uh, Grassley's statement, um, didn't really say anything about Trump's candidacy, just that um, Iowans certainly don't want President Biden to be uh, to continue to be in office for another term. And that, um, you know, quote, here's what I'll tell every Republican 2024 presidential contender. See you in Iowa, end quote. Um, Governor Reynolds, um, who uh, was out of the state, um, actually in Florida, I believe, um, attending the um, Republican Governors Association um, annual meeting, um, didn't respond to messages um, seeking comments, um, wasn't available, um, and um, I don't think uh, posted anything, I guess, on social media, in, any public comments or statements about um, uh, the former president's um, announced uh, candidacy bid for, for the White House. Um, aside from that, um, uh, well, and, and, and Aaron, maybe you can um, talk about this, but um, former governor, um, yeah. Terry Branstad, um, excuse me, um, who um, was a strong supporter of um, Trump's campaign in, uh, in, in 2016 and 2020, um, and uh, uh, who was who Trump named U.S. ambassador to China in 2017, um, said he hasn't decided which candidate he'll support um, in uh, the Republican presidential primary, um, you know, even after Trump's entry into the race. Um, speaking to reporters um, at a, a gathering um, in, in a, a suburban Des Moines, said that uh, he wasn't going to make a decision this early and that he never has. Um, but then did go on to say that um, that Trump should focus on what he would do in another term, not on what has transpired in the past, including <laughs> the 2020 election. Good luck, Good with, luck that. with that. <laughs> Yeah, and and Terry Branstad has said that to me in the past uh, too. So he's actually so. It, it, in in fairness to him, he's been consistent on that. He's he said, uh, you know, voters don't want to hear about what you've done in the past. They've already made their minds up on that. They want to know what you're going to do for them next. It, it it's interesting, Tom. And and look, Iowa the Iowa's top Republicans kind of are able to use that shield of not we, we do, I'm not going to endorse someone especially not this early cuz we want them all to come here we want them all to have a chance we want uh, Iowans to get a chance to vet these candidates so it's not completely shrinking from the question you know it it it's it is actually a very fair response but but it's just going to be interesting to see as this process plays out in the coming months over the next uh, 12 months basically um how long that continues to be the case. And at some point, will any of these folks, uh, especially the ones who Trump endorsed, uh, will they eventually endorse Trump or someone else? Um, that's obviously going to be a fascinating uh, part of this. Or do they just stay on the sidelines throughout the entirety of it and, and, and say, as they're saying now right off the bat, that, hey, I'm, I'm just welcoming everybody, telling everybody to come here. Um, that's interesting. Even and and uh, Sorry, go ahead, Jared. I was, I was going to say, even with this um, muted response, I'm still really dubious of the idea that Trump would be wobbly in a primary. Um, 
if you check polls, not, granted, they're not like A plus rated polls, but if you check polls, there are polls that show that Trump actually does better than uh, against Biden than DeSantis does. And there's multiple polls showing that. So he could actually still make an electability argument in the primary, even though he lost to Biden in 2020. And, you know, if more than one person runs against him, which other people have talked about, I really don't know how he doesn't win easily because he'd have the highest floor of anyone in the field. And, you know, then as far as DeSantis goes, we've done this time and time again this far out from an election. Uh, I remember even as a young lad before 08, people were convinced that Clinton had it wrapped up. And some people even thought she'd be taken on Condoleezza Rice uh, in the general election. And then in, uh, you know, 2012, Tim Pawlenty was the uh, golden chance to become the rival to Mitt Romney. And he flamed out after the Ames straw poll in 2011. He didn't even make it to the the caucuses that year. Yeah. So and and in and in early in the 2016 cycle, uh, Scott Walker was yep. just blowing away the field, uh, and uh, obviously that turned out uh, uh, slightly differently. Um, so that's a good point. Uh, it's it's easy to look at this as Trump versus DeSantis right now, but obviously there's a long way to go, and very rarely has the eventual nominee in an open race. Um, been the obvious one uh, from from the very start. That that's the exception, not the rule. Um, the other thing I just want to add about Terry Branstead, it was it was hilarious. First of all, a huge thank you to Kay Henderson from Radio Iowa who who covered that event and then passed along the audio because I wasn't able to be there. Um, and I was listening to it, and Kay is asking Terry Branstead the question about whether he's going to endorse Donald Trump and. Within five seconds, he's talking about the Democratic caucuses and how the Democrats are failing rural Iowa. And this is terrible. And Democrats are going to get destroyed uh, for this in rural states like Iowa. He's The guy has never stopped. He's still perfectly on message 100% of the time. Uh, in a question about the Donald Trump's candidacy, he immediately pivoted to um, a, a screed against the uh, DNC and the Iowa Democratic caucuses. It, it was it was amazing. And then it's hilarious then to hear Kay try to get him back on topic on top of it. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's obviously going to be really, really interesting um, again with these the top Iowa Republicans. And the other thought I had is, um, you know, they can say that they can say we're sitting back, we're playing neutral. We're, we're host, we're playing host here. We're not getting involved and putting our thumbs on the scales, but will that sit well with Donald Trump? I mean, no, that's that's the way we've always done it in Iowa. Doesn't I imagine mean anything at all to Donald Trump? So his reaction to that as time goes on will be just as interesting to me. I was thinking about that, and some of this obviously feels so much like deja vu from from 2016. Like I wonder, in some ways, if you know people being muted, especially politicians here or in other states being muted about supporting him, it just will help him. And he can say yet again, look, everyone is out to get me and they're out to get me because, you know, I fight for you. That's what he said over and over again in his speeches. And I mean, in some ways, some of this trying to kneecap him could, you know, help him again. Yep. Yep. That's true. I I think another interesting consideration, maybe this is kind of secondary to all this, but, you know, with uh, Governor Reynolds taking up the leadership of the Republican Governors Association recently continuing to kind of elevate her national profile. She's kind of been uh, whispered about as potentially like a VP pick for, mm-hmm. if not Trump, then somebody, right? So maybe she's not trying to, or I wonder if that's kind of in the back of her mind. That's I don't know if that's something too. she even wants, right? But mm-hmm. to not kind of alienate anybody if that is kind right. of on the table. Yeah, that's a very good point too. That's exactly right. 
All right. Well, we'll obviously keep our eye on that and have plenty of times to talk about that in future podcasts. So it's <laughs> 2024 has started, so we got plenty of time to get there. Uh, but speaking of elections and election results, uh, they're still counting ballots in Scott County this week. Uh, there was a partial recount there after some irregularities were discovered while reporting absentee ballots. Uh, Sarah, you've been covering that story. Uh, give us the latest. Is everything straightened out? And, and um, I, I know, and I think we talked about this in past podcasts, there were some local races that were decided by very narrow margins. Were any of those races impacted by this partial recount? Yeah, so they are actually still doing a recount today. Um, they were taking a lunch break again, at noon. And, and sorry, we're recording on Friday for folks who. Oh yes, to this. yes. So, so today is Friday. Yes, so we're. It's about one p.m. They took a lunch break around noon, so um, they're probably wrapping up here soon or, or later this afternoon. Um, so it's felt a little bit like Groundhog's Day. We we do a recount in the morning, then we get a press release that we're doing a recount the next day. Um, and so, but but essentially, what's happened is on Thursday, uh, Thursday after the the um, general election, there was a 470 ballot discrepancy found um, in the absentee ballot numbers. And so that includes early votes, any special precinct votes, so like overseas veterans voting. Um, and so, so that's the eve of Veterans Day. County offices are closed that day and a recount is called for the following Tuesday um, of the absentee ballots. And so those are run through machines. And um, by the end of the night, there is still a about 20 ballot discrepancy um, between the numbers numbers of ballots that were in the room and the numbers that were counted by the machines. And so then the... the um, then two days later, Thursday, there was a hand recount. So about 22 uh, elections workers were hand recounting just physical ballots just to get the number of physical ballots that um, uh, that were cast. And and so then today was a machine recount to to count the votes and count and affirm that number. Um, so that's what's wrapping up right now. Um, there are two local races that are in the balance. The a local house race um, was separated by about 29 votes on election night. And then a county recorder race was separated by um, a little bit less than 200 votes. So um, those are two races that could potentially be impacted. It doesn't seem like there's any statewide race impacts, but um, certainly, you know, wanting clarity from candidates or Candidates wanting clarity on, you know, okay, have I won the race? Do I need to call a recount? And of course, the deadline for that is three days after a final canvas. So they still have time to call a recount if they want to. Um, but certainly it looked like at, on election night, the Republican in the House race had won, um, Luana Stoltenberg, and uh, it's in a fairly blue district. And so, you know, and if, if the discrepancy was with absentee ballots, you know, the Democrat usually those break for Democrats, so we'll we'll see how that how that plays out. Um, and then certainly, Democrats have the the county auditor is a Republican, and Democrats in the county have, have been critical of how um, the county auditor has handled the recounts and how she's disseminated information. Um, and so. So we'll see about how, uh, you know, this final recount goes, if that matches up or if we're still going to be needing to do more evaluations, tabulations in the future. Yeah. And and what's interesting to me, too, is even beyond this, 
there's uh, other at least one statewide recount coming in the auditor's race. So eventually Scott County is going to have to um, have its uh, uh, stuff together to, to turn around and, and do that as well uh, before the, before the can- state canvas board uh, meets uh, here, which I believe is usually towards the end of November or early December. So um, uh, they're going to be busy there in Davenport for a while, I guess is the short version. Yeah. So Sarah, I would- oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was wondering if you all have heard either from like candidates or just like, you know, uh, everyday folk, like any grousing about how long this is taking. Cause obviously in a lot of other places after the elections this year, we heard people complaining about, you know, why wasn't this done on election night? Why is this taking so long? Has there been some of that like agitation um, there? There certainly has been among Democrats. Um, I think, so, yeah, I, I was talking with the, the Democratic candidate for um, county recorder, Rita Vargas, and she's she's been in the office for like 20 years, but she was just a little, she said she was disappointed just with um, the communication from the auditor's office and understanding what the, the issue was, why the recount was taking so long. Um, and also um, the former Scott County auditor before this person, um, Roxana Moritz, is still have pretty heavily involved in Democratic politics in in Scott County, and um, and uh, so so I've heard I've heard some from some Democratic candidates just wanting some certainty uh, ahead of like the holidays, but um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, like you know Arizona and those Western states are like still counting ballots in some races, and obviously the twenty twenty congressional race, you know, in the, in the Southeast Iowa took a long time because it was so narrow, but, um, but this is, I think the difference for, for at least Democrat, Democrats would say, you know, the difference here is that these are um, administrative recounts that Mm. the county auditor is calling because there was a discrepancy in absentee ballot numbers, not Mm. because a candidate wanted the recount. Um, So, and Today they're doing a machine recount where they're st- they're keeping the ballots in stacks of 100 and putting them through the machine. So then if like something goes off, like there's oh it counts 99 or 101, then they can say okay cancel. We'll run it through again um, to make sure that the machine counts 100 ballots. Whereas I think on last week they did not do that, and so when they got to the end of the night and they had the discrepancy, it was hard to figure out where that was. Um, but but of course, and the, on the Republican side, the county, the current county auditor, this is her first general election. And she said, you know, I found this discrepancy. I immediately notified the secretary of state's office that we conducted the recount and we're just trying to make sure that every single ballot is counted. And it's not about speed. It's about accuracy. And so, you know, she's also making the case that, you know, she's really trying to make sure, follow the processes and make sure everything's counted. That so as I hear you describe the the Democrats there being upset, I, I we've talking about memes here today. I can't help think of another one, and it's the uh, the big arm wrestling one uh, with the two <laughs> huge muscle men. And so I'm imagining uh, on from one Predator. arm on yeah from Predator. Thank you uh, on one arm Scott County Democrats, and on the other uh, bicep Kerry Lake, and then in the in the handlock in the middle. Why is it taking so long to get these votes? <laughs> I'll, I'll make that and, and tweet it out later when I tweet out the podcast, maybe. Oh, uh, man. So, well, again, stay tuned. That uh, uh, When we know more, we'll, we'll report more again uh, 
uh, and maybe at some point we'll actually have final results in this state. <clears throat> All right. Moving on now to Des Moines and the Iowa legislature. State lawmakers are beginning their preparations for the 2023 legislative session. In recent days, holding leadership elections and announcing committee assignments. Uh, House Republicans caught a few eyes and ears when their committee assignments included a brand new committee on education reform. And that's separate than the regular education committee and will be chaired by none other than House Speaker Pat Grassley. Education reform. Gee, Caleb, I wonder what legislative proposal this committee will tackle. Yeah, so that'll be a five-member committee, um, and it will, in the words of the House Republicans, uh, deal with bills containing significant reforms to our education system. And so I think the obvious legislation that that committee will probably consider is some sort of school choice or school scholarship program, a private school scholarship program, rather. Um, So Pat Grassley didn't say that specifically. Um, In a statement, he said the House would consider a broad set of education reforms this season, and said the committee will give will allow these important issues to be put in front of the entire caucus for in-depth discussion. But that's kind of what um, most people jump to when they when they heard that announcement. Um, so uh, Governor Reynolds advocated for that legislation um, during the campaign season. Um, the legislation that was proposed um, earlier this year in the legislative session was uh, 10,000 uh, scholarships using public school money to uh, to students both in low and middle income families and uh, with individualized education programs to uh, go take the that money that would go toward their public school to a private school um, or a charter school. Uh, and so the, uh, Reynolds said has said throughout the campaign that, you know, um, framing it as giving parents a choice um, in the primary, she endorsed uh, challengers to a few of the Republican incumbents uh, who opposed that legislation um, this year. Some of those incumbents were voted out, um, but it's still unclear uh, how much support that measure has in the House and whether it will have enough support to pass uh, this year. It's also unclear um, right now with legislation uh, that Reynolds eventually does propose will be the same kind of um, in that 10,000 new scholarships range or uh, whether it will be expanded. Um, You know, states like Arizona, where that option is open to any parent or any family to take their the money that would be allocated to their child's public school and use that to fund a, a um, private school education. Um, she's been pretty uh, quiet on the details of what she's proposing, um, but she's definitely talked about proposing something um, in this next session. But uh, there's probably a couple other things that could come up in that committee um, last year or this year uh, attached to that um uh, private school scholarship bill was a parents' bill of rights. They called it um, that would, you know, require schools to put their um, course materials online and do some other transparency um, goals. So those could come up in that committee as well. Uh, other things, perhaps as well. So yeah, and you raise an important point there, Caleb, about what the proposal would be will look like. I would be surprised if the governor turns around and just runs the same bill as last year. I'm guessing it's going to look at least somewhat different. And you could, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see the scope of it, as you mentioned, it could, because you could say, um, well, this proposal has failed for two straight years. Maybe she will be inclined to do something smaller, more targeted, more like a pilot program. On the other hand, she's also coming off an 18 point 
re-election victory, that doesn't feel like the time to pump the brakes on your agenda. So it's entirely possible that even though what she proposed before didn't pass, she could come up, come back this year with something even bigger. Uh, it's it's going to be. And, and the other thing, I, I'll just offer this thought, and if anyone wants to add on to it, I I, I don't know how you create a brand new committee and not pass something along those lines, right? Like you don't create yeah. a, a new committee and then not pass that bill. Um, I, I Now what exactly it will look like, I don't know, but it, it just, I don't know that that's my thought is you don't, you don't create a committee just to not pass something. And she, you know, campaign heavily, she endorsed in these primaries and now there are effectively many more lawmakers that do support school choice um, or and retiring lawmakers too. So uh, that that didn't support it ahead uh, before. So she definitely has many more votes in the house that she did before. Hey, um, another another thing that I uh, noticed since it's someone from my neck of the woods um, that's really worth paying attention to is that uh, Skylar Wheeler of Hull is going to be getting the education committee chair. And Skylar Wheeler pushed the uh, transgender athlete bill as hard as anyone uh, in the Iowa legislature. I think it's uh, fair to say that. Um, and then as far as um, schooling goes, he said before that he believes the state has a vested and compelling interest to ensure that every parent has the ability to send their kid to the school that they think their child deserves to be in. Um, that's a direct quote from him. Um, so that's certainly worth paying attention to on this uh, this front. And um, we're yeah. talking about what these priorities will be. And I know he has been one of the driving forces behind uh, the kind of legislation like uh, and they they did end up with something. They passed what they called the divisive topics uh, bill. But but Skyler Wheeler uh, was on the forefront of of legislation that would have banned um, use of the 1619 project, for example, in, in education materials. Um, so stuff like that. Uh, uh, now, again, and that'll be interesting, too. Now, does. Does Speaker Grassley, does Speaker Pat Grassley consider that education reform or is he okay with Skyler Wheeler running those in the education committee? Obviously, this is kind of new ground here and and those are questions for those uh, leaders and folks as uh, uh, we start to get ready for the session here. I'm also interested to see how like like um, Jake Chapman, who who pushed the sinister agenda that right. teachers had, I mean, he lost. So I, I'm curious, and obviously that's a suburban district, but I'm curious how how that will impact the GOP's um, stance and like ideas on on education proposals and and how to push their their education. Boy, agenda. that's a really good point, Sarah. Because especially when you look at this, and I, I don't know how you don't, you know, this doesn't jump off the page. It, Iowa, it was the red wave did hit here. Uh, Republicans just cleaned up in this state, but Jake Chapman, an incumbent now he was facing another incumbent in fairness, but he lost and he, he was the, the poster for that issue because of his speech on the first day of session last year. I, I don't know how you come to any other conclusion than that was a huge issue in that race and, and that he most likely lost because of that. So to your point, Sarah, I agree that it will be interesting to see, you know, how far uh, Senate Republicans and, and, and maybe Republicans in general are, are willing to push uh, the gas pedal uh, on this, given what they saw in that race. It's a good, really good point. 
All right, finally this week, the U.S. Senate voted on legislation designed to protect same-sex and interracial marriages, although there are some who would argue on the other side of that that it doesn't go far enough, but that's another discussion. Anyways, uh, so in that vote, Iowa Republicans and Chuck Gra- – I'm sorry, Iowa Republicans Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst split their votes. Uh, Tom, how did each of them vote, and, and what did they have to say about it? Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, they split their votes. Um, uh, Senator Ernst uh, voted in favor of uh, the uh, procedural vote to advance um, that bill, um, whereas uh, Chuck Grassley voted no. Um, Senator Ernst, in a statement, said that after hearing directly from Iowans and uh, closely uh, reviewing the amended language of the bill, that um she believes that the bill protects religious freedoms and will simply maintain the status quo in Iowa. Um, so Iowa legalized uh, same-sex marriage via a Iowa Supreme Court decision back in um, 2009. Um, Grassley, uh, in a statement, um, said uh, he opposed the bill because he believed that it would put people's religious beliefs at risk and claimed that the right to marriage um, is not being threatened. Um, He said uh, that, to be clear, there's no effort in Congress or the courts to uh, overturn rulings recognizing um, interracial marriages or same-sex marriages. that uh, despite the fact that um, with the um, Dobbs decision uh, this summer that overturned Roe v. Wade, um, you had a um, opinion from uh, Justice Clarence Thomas um, citing uh, these prior uh, Supreme Court um, decisions and rulings uh, related to same-sex marriage and interracial, or well, I guess just same-sex marriage, um, and, and kind of saying that those should be should be looked at as well. Um, but Grassley in a statement went on to say that um, he didn't believe that the, the Supreme Court would reverse those cases, uh, even if they were challenged, and that uh, didn't believe that it was prudent for politicians to imply otherwise in order to, quote, fabricate unnecessary discontent in our nation, unquote. Um, but again, uh, as, as, as we mentioned, and, and as um, Senator Ernst Uh, said in her statement, um, senators put forward an amendment to the bill to allay concerns that it would threaten religious freedom. Um, So the amendment ensures that nonprofit religious organizations will not be required to um, provide services, facilities, or goods for uh, the celebration of a same-sex marriage, and it protects uh, religious liberty and conscious protections available under uh, the Constitution and federal law. Um, it also uh, makes clear the, that the bill um, does not authorize the federal government to um, recognize uh, polygamy, polygamous marriage um, in that it shouldn't be construed to um, deny or alter any um, benefit status or rights such as tax exemptions, grants, contracts, educational funding um, for any entity or person so long as it um, doesn't arise from a marriage. Yeah, um... <laughs> So I, I preface this by saying I'm not making any arguments for or against any kind of policy uh, whatsoever. People are, it's a free country, people are free, and I'm not trying to change anyone's minds. But uh, I couldn't help but notice there, Tom, as you're describing Senator Grassley's uh, comments on his vote, and when he says things like the right to marriage is not being threatened, 
and that he didn't believe the Supreme Court would overturn these cases. I, I, I could just hear all the phones being thrown into people's sinks and, and throwing their coffee cups at their dashboard uh, uh, when they heard that, uh, specifically from um, abortions rights activists. <laughs> I, I apologize if you are in the market for a new phone after, after hearing that explanation. Um, that, that seems like a difficult argument to make uh, in 2022. So that's interesting that that's what Senator Grassley had to say about his vote. All right. If that does happen, we'll talk about it in a future uh, edition of On Iowa Politics. But that's it for this one. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and more. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or if you just want to reach out, send us an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that on Iowa Politics newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, and Jared, and our producer Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
I put it on like brake lights, but I'm never stopping. MCs are a cop in my style at the store. Check it at CDs Plus. No one else gets time to bust when I'm on the beat. I won't let it stop. Yo, hip, 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 hop, ho. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.